Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to a bonus episode of Ratchet and Respectable. One of the perks of this rapidly growing blog is that I can reach out to some of the most amazing thinkers and ask them if they'll talk to me, and they actually say yes. One of the amazing people that I reached out to recently was Melissa Valle. She is an assistant professor in both the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the Department of African American and African Studies at Rutgers University, Newark. So I called her up when I was working on the blackface episode and I talked to like a bunch of people. The conversation started with blackface and then it just sort of meandered to a whole bunch of blackity black, black ass topics. We had an amazing conversation and I didn't want to skip another week of covering pop culture because so much is happening right now. And I really thought it was an, a great conversation to share. I can tell you a couple of things that we talk about in this in this one-on-one. We talked about blackfishing, specifically Ariana Grande, which I've thought her name was Grande for a really long time because I thought she had some sort of Latina background. I knew she was Italian, but I thought she was partially Italian. I don't know. For some reason, I thought the girl had some some extra melanin in her life. There's a really popular blog that's been circulating that has a picture of her from when she first started out. And she's like white, white, super white. And usually when you see her, she she's very tan. One of the pictures in the article, it was Ariana Grande performing with Nicki Minaj. And she was darker than Nicki, who, you know, is a black, black, black girl. That took us to the Frankensteining of black beauty. If you listen to hip hop lyrics, you'll hear guys talk about they want a certain type of hair texture, a butt that's Brazilian, Filipino eyes. But guys tend to cherry pick the different traits that they want in a woman. It's this weird mixed fetish that 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 is the the end result. We talked about, I don't know if you saw it, there was a, a viral post going around, some football player and his friends and their non-black spouses were dining somewhere and they made a toast to more light-skinned kids. That That's on the agenda. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'm going to let you guys dive in and hopefully you'll enjoy listening to my conversation with Professor Valle as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, Melissa. I started with this idea of talking about blackface because of all of the the blackface information that's in the news right now between Virginia <laughs> and the fashion houses and right. the yearbooks. I'm like, are you people serious right now? <laughs> right. Right. Like, right. Come on. Come on. <laughs> but it's um it's morphed into to so much more to a larger okay. conversation about race. My first question is and it's a very general one, but what is the appeal of blackface? <laughs> that's always that's always the, the million dollar question right like why are these people doing this thing like, like what do they get out of it well i think it probably has to be you know has to do with the relationship that blackness still holds um you know in america and and, and essentially like black people end up being the sort of foil to whiteness and to white people it's like all right if i'm going to be this thing called white i need something that is black i need something that is the opposite of that if i'm going to be this kind of respectable character i need someone who is the opposite of that so it kind of props me up and moves me into a different kind of um of level of of of, of respectability and things of that nature as we talk about you know ratchet and respectable historically you know blackface has had um it's been about a lot about justification, about sort of putting forth an argument about blackness, um, which is what I always talk to people about. I'm like, you know, this is not this is not accidental. None of this has happened to, you know, sort of come about um, magically is that people are making decisions about, you know, what how we want to um, 
you know, uh, uh, how we want to depict this people that we think of as other. The emergence of blackface, you sort of see this is during the time of, 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 of slavery. And, you know, we need to justify this, right? Why are we doing this? Well, they're, we're subhuman. They're basically, they're docile. You get the Sambo character, right? They're like people who essentially are childlike. They need to be um, monitored. They need to be taken care of, you know, and in certain ways, in paternalistic kind of ways. And so we create this character that's, you know, of docility and, 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 and you know, uh, childlike uh, kind of behaviors. And then all of a sudden, you know, and this is, and then all of a sudden we get this sort of, the you know, this is around the time of abolition and people trying to fight against slavery. And then as we sort of move um, from there, we, you know, move into reconstruction and then we get the kind of the, the dandy, the zip coon, right? So now this person is, look at this, look at these Northern blacks with all of their, you know, fake education. Like that zip coon character was like, look at this, look at you all thinking that you're doing something. You're never going to be acceptable. You're never going to be intelligent. You're never going to be human beings. And so it was this constant kind of movement from like, well, what do we need to project, right? Before you were so childlike and helpless, and now you're so savage and dangerous. So this is where this blackface kind of comes in. And, and I was looking at uh, a great documentary um, from the 80s called Ethnic Notions. It's dated, but it, it really does a good job of sort of talking about the earlier earlier, earlier kind of periods of, of blackface and as it emerges. And again, it's not necessarily just a U.S. sort of construction. I, I do work in Latin America, and the, the Cuban bufo was actually, actually predates um, the minstrel shows. Again, thinking about um, everyone's relationship to blackness as people are creating, thinking about the, the the construction of the nation, thinking about how we want to be, who essentially um, the United States is, what whiteness is. You have to kind of create this this opposite and, and blackness becomes that. I think a lot about to the, what, when people are doing it, it's kind of like, well, what are they getting out of it personally, right? So there's the, there's the broader kind of, you know, national uh, narrative that's being created by looking at blackness um, and these larger scales. But if you think of sort of what are individuals getting out of it when they're dancing around and painting themselves and, and cooning it up, and, you know, essentially this idea that they can be, um, they can be free. This idea that, that black people are, uh, don't have any values, don't have any morals. But we're talking about black women being hypersexual. We're talking about black men and their savagery or their, you know, sort of the, 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 the clowning and, and being um, sort of uh, jovial and, and just always being, you know, playful and, and musical and, and, and all of these things that essentially and emotional, right, that they can express these things when they're in this uh, doing this kind of performance, this dance. Um, and so I think even now, if I think about when, when like Halloween and things like that, it's like everyone, you know, Halloween ends up being this time, just like kind of like carnival where it's like, oh, this is the time to really let loose and be this other thing and really transgress norms and, and sort of perform in this grotesque body or this hypersexual thing or this thing that I feel like I can't be on a regular basis. And then you're like, oh, well, what's the ideal form of that? What's like blackness? Let me dress up as a, you know, you see these like gangster parties and like um, hip hop parties and all of these things where people get to to perform in, 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 in ways that they feel like is outside of acceptable, um, you know, white American behavior. And so I think that that ends up being sort of part of the personal aspect of it, where people can um, sort of keep, think that they can unleash all these things that are essentially bottled up and not acceptable for, for proper whiteness. You mentioned something that I was unfamiliar with, and I wanted to circle back. You said sure. uh, Cuban bufo. Yeah. What is that? So it becomes, and I'm not an expert on, on, the, on the Cuban bufo, but there's some, some great work around that, you know, people who do focus on that. People assume that that anti-blackness is something that got you know fully exported, right? It was one of our great exports, anti-blackness. 
you realize when you start to look at things that are a bit older that these things have existed in other spaces as well. And in Latin America in particular, we talk about the, you know, the alleged year of their return in 1619. But remember that, you know, slavery was going on for much longer in Latin America, a hundred years longer, at least, if not more. So people were always confronting and always dealing with, their, with, with sort of racial tensions and racial relationships, albeit in different ways, depending on how it was. But you see, again, these, these performances also coming out, blackface, particular kinds of ways that things are, uh, you know, language that's kind of jargony and, and difficult to understand in a similar way um, that you see the sort of minstrel shows and the minstrel characters speaking in something that's kind of unintelligible. Again, speaking to the intelligence, the, the lack of intelligence and inferiority of black people. Um, and then you see the, the Cuban bufo that kind of blackface, that that performance migrate over to Puerto Rico in the form of the Negritos. And so you see, again, you see these blackface characters and and they take on sort of, again, different meanings because they're different based upon the context in which they're in, right? So often the, the musical forms might be different. Um, some of the, 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 the underlying political reasons that these things are being created. So we all, always have to look at these things in the context in which they're created. But there's still some underlying sort of fundamental things about, about blackness and, and about what it means in the societies that they exist in. And so the work that I do in Colombia... Um, and the paper that I just came out with was essentially I, I was there and I really had no intention on doing work around blackface. But all of a sudden it was it was uh, the independence of Cartagena um, festivals in November. And I was like, um, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what's all this blackface? And why? And more importantly, why are black people doing it? You know, which is which just is the most shocking thing to me. And it's like, oh, this is fully embraced here. This is embraced to be actually something that is favorable, something that is supposed to be sort of acknowledging blackness, but in a in a very interesting way, it also sets up who is black and who is not. On the U.S., for example, a lot of the early uh, minstrel sort of characters and people who were who were doing that work were Irish, right? So they're essentially um, sort of establishing, yeah, like we are. This is something other than we are. Like as we're still at the time, sort of defining our own whiteness. Um, we're going to be very clear, and, and, and this is going to help us sort of define that we are not this, we are something else. And so you see in Latin America, what I see in Colombia, I do interviews and I say, I show them pictures of the performances that I took. And I'm like, well, why is this person who was an Afro-descendant wearing black paint to show that they're Afro-descendants? And they'll tell me like, oh, well, they're a little bit white, no? Like they're a little bit lighter. They're kind of mixed. And, you know, these people represent Palenque, which is like the really, really, truly black region or the Pacific Coast where people are really, really black and we're kind of not so black. So this black paint allows people to sort of differentiate themselves um, from other forms of blackness and sort of, you know, make so that there are like levels to this thing, you know, like that that's black, black, black. So kind of black. black and like medium black and then like medium black, 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 black. And we are not blackity black, black. Like we are just medium black. We're a little white. We're, you know, it's, oh, you know, and that's what people would say. Like, oh, she's like a little white. No. So like she has to wear the black face, like literally black paint. And also this idea that for some reason, again, this one of the things that frustrate me a lot is when people talk about about black skin. You know, it's this idea that people have really gotten to their minds that we are of actual black skin. Um, and it's like and so all of a sudden when people want to become people who are of African descent, they wear black paint as if people are actually black skin. And so I asked the question, I'm like, are people, do you think that, that that black people are actually this color right here? Like this shoe polished black? And they're like, yeah, right? Like, no, not here in Cartagena or in Barranquilla, but like, yeah, in Palenque, like they're black, 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 like shoe polished black. Like who, no one is this color. <laughs> like even the deepest, deepest, deepest brown is not this color. So, you know, but it's it's amazing to see how people, how again, this and this is the danger of these images that if, if you sort of, you know, you perpetuate them enough, they become naturalized and people really can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And this, this then becomes real to them. 
And then it has real consequences for the people who are essentially being portrayed, right? So if we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the, the kind of savagery that was being portrayed, you know, in Birth of a Nation and those kinds of pieces, those had genuine real consequences, racial hysteria, lynchings, mm -hmm. ra you know, race riots and attacks against black people. And again, anything that is going to violate, you know, what's essentially the, the prized possession of white America, which is white womanhood, you know, must be destroyed. People want to say like, ah, you know, it's just like you're, you're taking this too seriously. This is just, you know, movies. This is just cinema. I'm sure back in the day when the NAACP was actively fighting against the birth of a nation, even then, again, you know, like people I'm sure were telling them like, ah, like relax, you know. And so now even still we get a, we get this uproar with social media and people are like, oh, relax. Like it's just a sweater. It's just a bag. It's just a, you know, it's just a Halloween costume. It's like, nah, it's not though. <laughs> like chill out. It's much greater than that. It's, it's determining how people see us. It's how they see us and very real consequences of how they treat us. And I was thinking recently about this idea of if, if, if essentially the Sambo character was used to sort of justify slavery during this sort of time where people are fighting for abolition. And if, 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 you know, during reconstruction, you sort of see the black dandy and the zip coon be created. And I start to wonder like, well, why are people doing it now? Is it any sort of surprise that again, what you see a lot of is people dressing as again, thugs, right? This idea of, 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 of the dangerous kind of thug criminal hip hop character, you know, street culture at a time when we had mass incarceration. It's always this kind of a reminder of you will never just, you getting too little too big for your britches over there. Like, you know, let me take you down a peg. And the second you put somebody in blackface, it's like, oh yeah, just when you thought that you couldn't, you know, that you were getting somewhere. It's like, nah, let me remind you how we see you, how we really see you. For the people who haven't re researched your work and haven't read your paper, can you go into a little bit of what you experienced in Cartagena? I was there doing research. I was doing my dissertation research. I received a Facebook message from someone who was black, an invitation to something. And I was like, and it was a black face picture. And it was a, basically a group of, of uh, sort of fair skinned men dressed like completely, you know, black face, black body, making these like grotesque, ridiculous, which is what we would think of as cone faces. And I was like, what is this? So my initial reaction is like, where we got to go? I got the signs. I get my posters. Like, let's go. And I was like, wait, 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 are you all inviting me to come do this? And that's what I realized it was an invitation for. It wasn't a protest. Oh. It was actually to come be down, wear your best blackface, and come on out to um, to the, the, the parade, the parade that was going to be in Calmares, which was considered sort of like, nah, like come to the, you know, to, with the people, be one with the people, wear your blackface and come on out to this um, this parade. This is for the uh, independence of Cartagena, the festivities, and it goes on for over a week, different places, different parades. And so I ended up going to multiple parades, seeing this throughout, actually. Um, there are very few times that I actually didn't witness it. I didn't see it in Calamares that day, but I ended up seeing it um, in multiple parades in Cartagena, then again in Barranquilla during the carnival. And I was just floored by it, and I was disgusted by it. What was most painful, though, was the fact that I was uh, essentially alone in my disgust. And so that made me say, all right, like, let me put my researcher hat on and like fall back a little bit and say, well, why is it that people are so comfortable with this? Why are they not only are they so comfortable, they, they're celebrating it. They're like, yes, we love it. It's great. We used to do it when we were kids. And because of this, I started incorporating these pictures. I took pictures and I incorporate them into my my uh, my interviews. And I'm like, what does this mean? How do you feel about it? Would you allow your child to do it? And they're like, yes, absolutely. It represents the culture, it represents tradition. And then you start to remember, you start to see how people get very sentimental about these kinds of things. You see this a lot in Europe as well with the Zwart Piet mm -hmm. in, in the Netherlands with, you know, this like Christmas character. People are like, we d don't take away our black Piet. And you're like, what? 
And essentially people are feeling like, even in Cartagena, they're like, no, this is part of a tradition. And and people who are already feeling like there's a, in the particular neighborhood that I work in, people are already feeling like everything's being stripped from them. All their traditions, they're being displaced by, you know, there's a, there's a gentrification process happening. And so people are feeling like, nah, like this was something that we all used to do, you know? So there are, there are multiple layers to it where I was like, all right, let me, it's still very, very problematic, but it, but sometimes it's not as as clear um, why people have an affinity for these things. Um, and so one of the things I also notice is like, yeah, for a lot of black people, this is the only time they see depictions of blackness. In a place where blackness is invisible, you like, well, at least we out there. Oh, okay. Like never in mind how the, you know, this depiction is, be, is, is what it is and what it means. But it's sort of like, well, we're just happy to see ourselves. You know what? Last night I was, I was up until the middle of the night and I was reading about Al Jolson from The Jazz Singer. He's got Cab Calloway. He was in a movie with him. So he was like, everything that you give to me, you have to give to him because he's my co-star. And I'm like, you're performing in blackface, but right. and also at the same time, an equal rights person. Like they all the right. black actors talked about how he would invite them to their homes. And they're like, everybody else, it was just business. You're on set, do your job and get away from me as opposed <laughs> to him. And he's like, come to my house, have some dinner, me and my wife. And I'm like, I'm so right. confused. But right. like, what you're saying is when you have no representation at all, even a white guy in blackface making fun of you seems better than nothing. Right. Than being completely invisible from being non-existent in the landscape of, of your nation. Right. So it's like, okay, well, we're happy to see something. And, and that's the painful part about it. But even, you know, um, uh, thinking about the Burt Williams, you know, who is this, I believe he's Bahamian, Bahamian American. Um, and he's black, you know, he's fair skin. And in order to sort of take part in theatrical labor, you know, this is what folks had to do. Like yeah. black people have to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, this is what's required of us to even get into these spaces. This is the prerequisite. You got to, you know, you better cork it up, cork it up or be out. And so people having to make these decisions all the time. And this is where we have to sort of, you know, again, be mindful of, of the context and the time period, but still also the people who are actively pushing back. Right. So even when I think about in Latin America, there are people who have been pushing back against imagery and, and representations like that, albeit not necess- they're not necessarily the dominant voices. But people have these sort of just different ways of viewing this very problematic thing. But but the thing that also, again, that what you can get away with when you say something is tradition also blows my mind. So is slavery. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got lots of traditions. You ever heard of that one? It could be a longstanding tradition, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's something that needs to be perpetuated. You know, these things have gone on, you know, for so long and people just have to be able to say like, yeah, I know you like dressing up as, you know, geishas for Halloween. Or I know you you thinking playing this sort of, co- you know, uh, cowboys and Indians thing and dressing up like an indigenous people's were cute, but we have to shift. These narratives, you know, the U.S. has been notorious for sort of, again, deciding how it wants people who... It has a sort of a, a, a vital interest in whether it's their land, you know, sort of like portraying in a particular way. So thinking about, you know, the ongoing sort of conflicts with Mexico and the, the Pancho Villa characters that come up, the drunken Mexican, you know, the 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 uh, uh, Speedy Gonzalez, all of these things that sort of get created to kind of, you know, hold a particular idea of, of what Mexicanness is. And so, you know, that's being perpetuated for a very particular reason. These things are never accidental. They become so powerful in terms of the the psyche of, of human beings so that you're like, yeah, they, they don't even deserve to be out there anyway. Y'all don't need that land. Y'all are a bunch of drunks. We're talking about the sort of the, the Midwest and the expansion of the U.S. Or, you know, that's right. Those black people, they aren't even, they're, 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 they, they're slaves naturally. They need to be slaves. They need to be dominated. Or we need to be exterminating them because essentially they're just too dangerous. They're running amok. 
you know, or we need to keep incarcerating them because essentially they're dangerous. They're selling drugs. They're out here. They're putting out this vile music that's that's that, you know, doesn't have that lacks respect and isn't, you know, acceptable. And so we need to do away with them. We need to keep them incarcerated. Always people are actively working using these images. You know, even when people are asking, like, why now are they are they ramping it up or is it a matter of social media? I've been interviewing people for like the last couple of days now and consistently everyone's like, yeah, blackface, you know, it like it rises and falls in terms of how how visible it is. But they were like, yeah. it's the, the crux of a American popular culture. Minstrel shows were the number one form of popular entertainment. It was sort of the first popular entertainment that was really nationalized. So it's always been at the forefront of what we think of as entertainment. And it kind of waned again because of, you know, because of protests and because people are saying that it's in, it's in poor taste. But then that just meant it went underground. Right. You know what I'm saying like now all of a sudden it's just at people's houses and people's, you know, parties and people's, um, you know, yearbooks that people think that no one's going to see. But it's not necessarily it's still in bed. It's still in poor taste publicly. I think that's also why we're sort of struck when people are just so blatant about it. And that's the thing about the the, the fashion design. Like, yo, know, wow, you're just going to you're just going to put that on a bag, huh? Just going to put that on a jacket or, you know, you're going to put that on a sweater. At least come on, have the decency to hide it like everybody else. Their idea of being cutting edge is is. You know, it's also kind of like not recognizing who your market is in certain spaces, but also realizing like, hey, you aren't, you know, we don't need you. While there are going to be people who who protest and walk away, and I think that that's important, there are going to be some people who who now pay attention and may jump on the bandwagon. I would hope those people will be fewer than the ones leaving. I also think there's a market for it. Yeah. Like, and yeah. like, like I see it and you see it and we're outraged and we'll, we'll say like, I'll never wear that and I'll never shop there again. But I also feel like there's somebody who walked by and was like, oh, this is cute. This is funky. This is cool. This is edgy. What is this? I feel like, I don't know. I feel like a different person in this. I feel like I'm someone else. As Paul Mooney said, everybody wants to be a nigga. Nobody wants to be a nigga. You know, like, you know, everybody wants the, 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 pit, the, the pieces to pull off and pluck the pieces that they think are um, cool, right? Black cool is a thing and it's been a thing. Um, and so it's like, we want to embody this coolness. We want to embody this sexuality. We want to embody all these things that we think um, are, are very specific to Black people. And so when we want to be, you know, free, we can, that's who we, we embody. There yeah. is an article circulating right now. I think 30 people have tagged me in it already this morning <laughs> about Ariana Grande, who for the last oh, couple yeah, of years, I've been calling Ariana Grande because I thought she was Latina. Right, she's um, Italian. Right. She's Italian. And she's, to me, because she's always very tanned, uh-huh. I just assumed she had some some biracialness, some some Afro-Latina going on. And right. people were like, they showed the side-by-side picture of like, this is the before, oh, yeah. this is the after. And they're like, no, she's white, white. Because even when I think when somebody told me she was Italian, I was like, oh, like Sicilian, because they have right. a little Southern, olive, they have brown. some color. And she she's, is, she's not. She's like Northern. You're not even olive toned. You're not even. Yeah, olive you're not olive. olive. You're you're like a white, 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 white chick. But right. she always presents as of some color that we weren't really sure of. Like, right. what what is that? Someone wrote a really good article a few years ago. It was sort of like um, black beauty on a white body. Um, and it was so good. This person, this this was a sister who wrote it. And I've been like trying to find it. And I can't. But she, but essentially talking about the Kardashians and how like, yeah, Everybody, you know, wants those pieces. Their brand is is whiteness, so you can get your whiteness, but you can get all these other things that 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 are appealing. I used to think a lot about this with hip hop songs, the ways that people sort of almost like Frankenstein it up when they when they talk about women in songs. Whether Snoop Dogg's talking about, you know, you're black and beautiful, but long long black and curly like a Cuban, fat, you're like like ass is fat and waist is little, like and people are just like defining what these sort of 
um, pieces are that they think are ideal. Like what your hair is like, you know, this looks like this, but your skin is like this and your eyes like this, Asian eyes and this, that and the other and sort of piecing together the body parts to create the, the women that they think are, that are, are aesthetically pleasing. They're all kind of gravitating towards one particular look that is, that is a bronze, a brown, but not dark, dark. It is long haired. It is, um, you know, narrow nose, particularly with all the contouring, like everyone's sort of contouring and get this kind of narrowness. It's plumped up lips. Um, it's, it's a particular kind of look that is definitely um, ethnic, and it's sort of a and it's a mixed blackness, and it goes almost back to sort of like um, the 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 common um, sort of uh, affinity with the mulata, right? The sort of mulata, the mixedness. Somebody that has um, particular elements of whiteness, but has also elements of blackness. Um, you see this a lot in Latin America, right? We want we want the hair to look like this. It can be curly, but it has to be a particular kind of curl. Um, I remember even in one of my interviews um, with with someone in the community that I the work that I do, he was sort of I was I was asking, so what is your ideal mate? And it's sort of like, oh, it can be any any color except too dark. So I see that with with Ariana Grande and all these others. So they're kind of playing up their their sort of their downness, right? Because blackness signifies downness, it signifies coolness, it signifies um, actual sort of like a, a culture that that's shaped around uh, musicality and ability to dance, the you know rhythm. So that this rhythmic nature that people think is something that is in the blood, like thinking about like this whole idea of black fishing, all of these like models and sort of so-called influencers on Instagram playing up this again, ethnic. It's like they're trying to appeal to to black men who who want to sort of be like, nah, I got me a Brazilian girl. I got me a Cuban girl. I got foreign. Me any a foreign. I don't know the name of I think he's a football player. He did an IG stories. He was out with his friends. It was like five friends at the table. I think they all had white significant others, wives, girlfriends, whatever. And he was they, the toast was to more light skinned kids. Oh my gosh! And I was like, was, in 2019, yep. I keep saying that. that. Like, oh, in 2019, because I feel like there should have been progression, and right. I feel like we're actually regressing in many ways. Yeah. Men are sitting around this table talking about light skinned babies. It's like, well, what do you see? What, how do you feel about yourself? And that was the thing that used to strike me when I used to listen to men talk about, yo, you know, I'm saying like, I got me a put anything else but black in this category, right? In this line, this blank spot. I got me a, a Polynesian girl. I got me a, anything else. Right. And it was like, well, what do you how do you see yourself? Right. Do you see yourself to the point where, you know, that this this other person thinks that I'm worthy me as a black person. Right. That my self-worth ends up being tied to that. That other people find me attractive. Other groups find me, you know, find me beautiful. And that, that I can then sort of like, again, you know, in, in Spanish, we say like improve the race, like literally, you know, uh. you need to, mar- you need to marry up so that you can improve the race. There's no question about what improving the race means. You know, you need to marry whiter and lighter so that you can sort of, you know, again, we can improve our, our, our Latin life and, and, and move up. There's a really interesting article by a scholar. His last name is um, oh, Elizabeth Hodge Freeman. So she studied families in Brazil and looked at the colorism within families. Right. And I always tell people like, look, look, man, some of the you know, first people's interactions with and confrontation with with racism and colorism is in their own house. They were talking about, listen, if you have limited resources and we know that lightness is associated with better quality of life, then people are like, listen, you know, it's like I need my kids. You know, I'm going to put I'm going to invest in the lighter ones. They stand a much better chance in the society of doing better. And I was like, wow, that's heartbreaking. It's always so weird to me how the way race <laughs> is set up is I'm trying to give me working out this thought in my head as I'm speaking. Yeah, yeah. Race is a social construct. It manifests itself differently 
in terms of subcategories in all these different places, right? Mm -hmm, But it mm -hmm. tends to manifest in the same way. Like the context is slightly different, but things like the different colors in the same house and you treat the kids better or worse based on their color. Yeah. Like they do that in South America, but they also do that right here in the United States. So I always say that that, that African-Americans think that they have a, a monopoly on blackness mm-hmm. um, and Latin Americans think they have a monopoly on mixedness. <laughs> mm. uh, and so, you know, each one is trying to tell the other like, nah, like, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, you're not black, we're black or like, nah, like we're mixed. And so when you see, this is, this is something that's relatively new too, that I see a lot, which is, um, when, when black people are, you know, like, you know, of, of, of sort of different backgrounds and, and, you know, African-Americans, you know, through, through, through rape and, and intermarriage and things like that for hundreds of years now, or, you know, particular kinds of shades. And, you know, you have, you know, Virginia blacks and very fair skin, but all very much identifying, self-identifying as black and, um, and, and, you know, the New Orleans Creoles and things of that nature and just black people around the United States is being mixed throughout for many years. But people sort of see when now when people see people, you know, when people see black people who are maybe look a little bit, a bit mixed, they sort of assume that they're Latin. Sometimes the term black ends up taking something, you know, on even depending on where you are looking at work around what, at some point in, in Australia and New Zealand and sort of people really identify and call themselves black. You know, um, and thinking about the work that's been done in, in the UK where blackness is a political category. Right now, it's more sort of it's it's moved away from that in some in some regard. It wasn't necessarily about sort of origins and ancestry, but about what it means to be at the bottom um, rungs of society. Um, and I thought that that was very striking when I started to do work around um, around um, anti you know racist activist work in in the UK and looking at um, anti blackness. And it was like, now nah, blackness is a political category. So you got a lot of South Asians coming to this to to those spaces and identifying as black. Um, and I think that there's been sort of a movement away from that in a lot of ways, but there was a particular moment where, yeah, there was, this is where the solidarity was. Like we all, we're all in this, but then it still makes sort of whiteness a thing that we're always sort of juxtaposing ourselves against. But essentially they, they become the center and, but, but that's where, you know, where this black face comes into where it's like, they've been setting these things up, you know, to sort of create this, this idea of opposites for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. To have your, your pristine whiteness, you have to have something else to, like you said, to be against it, to be in opposition to it. Yeah, we're we're the great sort of again we're the greatest the great foil. Yeah, right? we're the great foil to, to to whiteness to white America to white ideals, values, um, everything that they they again are sorting trying you know professing to be all the time, you know and sort of again when you look at you know the idea of criminality and who that you know that rests with and that's something that is innate and again in the blood and and before it was us it was on the Irish and it was on the Italians and it was on the Eastern Europeans. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a movement away from that. Khalil Muhammad talks about that a lot in the condemnation of blackness. You know, look, this again, I got the idea of criminality and who that shifts from when it's, you know. And Du Bois even talked about that when it came to alcoholism. You know, he was like, yeah, he was like, you know, we, we now get thought about the alcohol, you know, as alcoholics. But, you know, before us, it was the Irish. But that's when they were less popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like now they're more, you know, they're more favorable. So they don't get those kinds of they don't have that identity, identity. That, that association, you know, where we're just like, oh, that's us now. Literally before um, before we we hopped on this call, I was reading an article about Kamala Harris and her lack of blackness. People are always sort of questioning and policing blackness, um, and, and it becomes and and, I, and, I, and on some level I get it because again people are you know with the Rachel Dolezals and and black when it's convenient, um, sort of creeping up and black fishing and things like that. It becomes something that people want to police, but at the same time, it's like you know you know who can be the arbiter of of of, of you know who's who's officially black and who's not and i don't know whether it's also maybe because of her partner um which has come up i mean i could see somebody maybe who had again only gone to white schools had a white partner had really been sort of 
I really think he sort of separated themselves from right. So someone who had separated themselves from blackness like um, culturally. So an OJ, right? So all now, all of a sudden, you want to be down. You know, because you're, you're you're having struggles. You know, like you know, but essentially, like she'd embraced a black culture. She'd embraced a black, you know, black life. Um, so what more does she need to do? Um, I mean, I, I want to focus more on her politics and her policies and her her and what terribly you know poor history around around policing and around Criminal like you justice know, and, and incarceration and, and, and right and, yeah. and supporting and supporting the state of Israel and things of that nature. So like. I'm like, you know, whether she's authentically black is not, you know, not my interest. But this is where misogynoir comes into. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, all right, again, let's talk about her policies. But like, at some point when we start just focusing on her in particular kinds of ways, it's like, do you just hate black women? <laughs> like, I mean, you do. A lot just of people do. A lot, a lot of people, of people do. do. Like to have sex like, with black women. Don't actually and, like black women. Exactly. Again, want the bits and the pieces, right? Like want, want, want to have access to the things that we think are cool and convenient and sexy, but we want to discard all the things that we think are ugly and terrible and, and not socially acceptable, right? So it's like, you, you know, like this is what, this is the nature of our struggle um, for, for ever since we've been here, you know, becoming, you know, whether it's, you know, people being enslaved and not thought of as human beings, but you're procreating with something that you don't think is a you being being. You're raping something, something that you don't think is a human being. Really? How does that work? You can't actually believe that. You don't actually believe that. In the same way, you didn't actually think that a plantation could be run by a bunch of childlike sambos. Like that, that wouldn't have worked. You know, that wouldn't have functioned if they were shiftless and nobody wanted to work. I mean, granted, you're asking me to work for free. So I, I'm going to find ways to, you know, to uh, to get around some of that anyway. Um, but still like, you know, but this idea is like, yeah, you didn't believe that you're saying that because you want to perpetuate certain things are convenient, you know, for your narrative, but that's all bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like actions say otherwise. Every time you were, you know, you were raping and, you know, you know, black women, you, you obviously did not see them as, as asexual, um, you know, uh, um, uh, subservient, uh, mammy like characters as as you would like to portray and you made sure that you did that because again these threats to white womanhood were the were the worst were the most most worrisome right so whether their position in the household or you know their position in you know as as, as you know whether they if they procreated with black men you know that's that's the ultimate thing so whatever you got to do to protect that we're going to hold on to that and so creating again black women as sort of the asexual you know um non threat that won't pose any sort of tension or or you know issues in a household where, you know, where they actually are desired is, is what people's goal in them being. Yeah. That's tough, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredibly enlightening. I'm, I'm super excited that I got you on the phone. Thank you for having me. I was super nervous. <laughs> Don't be. No, you were excellent. You were absolutely excellent. She's as dope as I told you she was, right? Like she's like she gave me a lot of things to think about. And I love that she gave us a global perspective on blackness and menstrual shows. So that is our bonus episode for the week. Thanks always for tuning in. Our regular episode is scheduled for Thursday, not Wednesday, Thursday. I've been dropping them a little early, but I'll be dropping it on Thursday this week because there's so much to talk about and I've got to get an interview out of the way. So talk soon. Okay, bye. Feel human.